0: to Millennial Mythos. This is episode 4 and today I have Dr. Ingrid Largoidy Martin with me. I'm really excited to to be talking to her today and we are going to be looking at two challenges that that face teachers big ones uh, and they are apathy and trauma. We as teachers are encountering, encountering both of these issues more often as each year goes by. The vast majority of us are not equipped to deal with things like trauma, we're not taught those in, I mean, we're not taught about that or what to do about it in teacher prep programs. And apathy is one of those issues every generation lays at the feet of the one before it. Um, but teachers today are especially concerned about it. Um, so I have brought Dr. Laragoidi on today to help tackle both of those subjects. So I'm excited to welcome her. Welcome, Dr. Laragoidi.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jacob. This is really exciting to have an opportunity to discuss things that we're dealing with every day.
0: Uh, I would agree. So uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Dr. Goidi and, and where she comes from. She holds uh, a DMA, a Doctor of Musical Arts degree in Instrumental Conducting from CU Boulder and is currently the Director of Bands at the Skyline High School Visual and Performing Arts Academy, where I was fortunate to work with her for a short time. Um, she is a former faculty member of the, and director of bands at New Mexico State University and Henderson State University. Uh, additionally she came to Skyline from the South Florida CARES mentoring movement and she is one of the most intelligent and capable women I've ever met and most importantly a dear friend. So I'm excited to have her. Um, so the big subject today, we're talking about trauma and it seems to me that After that bio, being a program director for the CARES movement would give you some expertise in and on trauma. So could you just talk a little bit about that? Um,
1: Sure. Um, I don't know about expertise because trauma is always new, you know, for every child that goes through it. So dealing with it is always uh, unique. But it definitely gave me insight on what our students are dealing with on a daily basis that, you know, we can't quantify. Um, CARES uh, National Mentoring Movement is an amazing program for underserved and underprivileged students. And a lot of it is us going into lockdown, last place, chances, last chance places um, for high school age students and trying to help them deal with social emotional Uh, issues to help them get out of their routine, their rut, or out of their lives to move forward and be at least career ready or college ready. And in those experiences, we hear these kids talk about trauma in every facet, from abuse in every level, to neglect at every level, to hardships, to uh, trying to find food, being homeless, uh, being a a 15-year-old who's taking care of four smaller siblings, so what I learned from that is we live in a time, this is all of this has existed throughout history, mm-hmm. but we live in a time where it exists at a higher uh, population, percentage of our population, and it's becoming not unique. <laughs> uh, okay. That's a terrible way of saying it. But uh, we as ed- educators, like you said, are not equipped to work with this. Um, and so when we face it in our classrooms and now we're facing it at a higher rate because the population's growing and therefore that population grows, um, we can't deal with it and teach. Right. You know? Absolutely. So that's what I learned is that I have to go back to the drawing board, I guess, yeah. along of it. Is Absolutely. that I didn't know what to do half the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Um, also, that it is Amazing that these children can do anything, because I know how I deal with my personal trauma, and it is not at any point in time at the level of distress that these kids live in. Right. So, me for me to say I understand, or for us to say we understand what they're going through is such a misnomer. Um, We we don't most of us don't know what it feels like to be homeless. To have to take care of four siblings, to not know where our next meal is coming from, and for education to be the last thing on your list because you're just trying to make it to the end of the day.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, that's that's a terrifying state of affairs. That's growing.
0: Right. So you said, you know, my next question was, is trauma itself on the rise? And and you answered that, but absolutely. And and one one of the reasons you said is because obviously. Earth's population is, I mean, growing. So naturally, that pers- those numbers grow. But is there, do you see it growing for any other reason? Or do you see that there's a there's something else behind that besides just the population?
1: Um, that's a hard, you know, if we're talking you and I as, a con- uh, as just a polite conversation and interest, right. yeah, I have my own experiences and opinion. I don't have the hard research, the receipts. And I think receipts mm-hmm. are important. Uh, But as far as my opinion, and I want to make it clear it's my opinion, um, I feel that it is on the rise because our class or caste system has become wider and there's less middle and there's way too many low and way too many high and there's not much in the middle. So there's not a lot of the givers and that's usually the middle class um, that provide for the lower class and I hate to put it that way. Um, but it's what I'm finding. Mm-hmm. So it's the have and have nots. And there isn't the comfortable in the middle. And we're seeing that with recent graduates who have to move back home. We're seeing that with right. people, you know, baby boomers who aren't leaving their jobs because life expectancy is getting longer and people are staying in their jobs longer. So they don't have positions. And there isn't, so we're seeing well-educated. Forget about, you know, non-educated poor income. We're talking about well-educated people who don't have a place to go and are working, you know, minimum wage jobs and trying to make ends meet and have side hustles. And we keep talking about the side hustle like a positive thing (laughs) when we know that our grandparents had one job from birth to death and were able to retire at a normal age and enjoy life. And that is not the reality anymore. So how can we possibly imagine that the lower class – um, underprivileged, underserved community can be doing any better,
0: right? Uh, so I'm sure you remember. Uh, uh, I mean, I do uh, my your your high school experience, um, and and maybe even when you were first a teacher, when you were first in the classroom. Um, why? Uh, so it's on the rise, but I don't remember seeing trauma. At, at I mean, even in college. Is it just that we weren't aware of it back then? Or, I mean, it seems like every kid I talk to is aware of, of some sort of trauma with, with somebody they know or their best friend or even themselves. Uh, I think we have to be more expense, ex, uh, explicit
1: with what we're calling trauma. Um, because I think certain kinds of trauma have been on the rise more than others, especially at high school level or middle school level. Um, Because of influences of where we are in 2020 with technology and where the students who are now 15 years old have lived 15 years entirely on the internet and social media and what that has to do with their self-value and communication and self-expression as opposed to, not simple, but neglect or sexual abuse that's always come from the same place. You know, that hasn't changed so much. Mm -hmm. Abuse now Mm -hmm. is the same as it was in 1950s and 1900s and 1850s, as far as that goes. But what has changed is the social aptitude of our students and their ability to deal and cope because of the way that they've learned to communicate. And that's something that we've engendered. Right. And we don't know the results of that yet, even now. Um, But we're starting to see it in the classroom. And that's the first place you're going to see it. Right. All right. So, yeah, I think it just depends. When I was in high school and I first started teaching, I mean, definitely when I was in high school, there was no internet. So there's that (laughs) Um, as I age myself. Um, And um, even when there was email, and the beginning of that was when I was in college. And I remember as a freshman, they gave everybody an email. And I was like, who the heck is going to use this? Like nobody important. That was only for important people, you know. But by the time I got to my master's, It was something people were starting, normal people (laughs) were starting to use. So um, I knew about trauma when I was young because I grew up in an underserved community in urban West New York Mm -hmm. and New Jersey. So the trauma was there. I didn't know very much or meet very many people who had suicidal trauma, depressive trauma. And I can't tell you. If that was because we just didn't talk about it, and it wasn't as accepted to talk about, or if that wasn't what they were feeling, I don't know. I know that people were facing hunger or lack of job, employment, monetary, rent, et cetera, et cetera. All those kind of things were definitely still there, and I knew people who were suffering physical abuse or like hitting or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't I didn't know of anybody having sexual abuse. I was not having those conversations at that age.
0: Right.
1: Um, AIDS and homosexuality was a big buzz thing. And it was just oh. developing when I was a kid. So nobody talked about it. That was the hush thing. So right. I don't know if there was homosexual trauma, if there, you know, right. transgen, I, I, that didn't, that wasn't a conversation. So I can't speak to that. I'm glad that at least nowadays we can, and our students can speak about it. Right. Um, so there's something positive there with social media and our, and our state of things. But,
0: well, I just um, read a, I just read an article the other day and it was about, it was about, it gave an example of, of a seventh grader who went to, to dump his tray at lunch. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think kids think of it that way anymore. I remember the trash cans and you dump in the tray, but, and he, he slipped and fell in, you know, in 1990 and everybody laughed but then he went home and nobody remembered it and then now it's 2020 and the same kid trips and falls and spill and then Instagram comes out, Snapchat comes out, the recording thing. So, I mean, I certainly think that has, I mean, from my perspective, the you know, the bullying con- continues, the, the, the communication continues at home, the, um, kids can access all sorts of things at night, you know, once they go to bed.
1: The trauma, the trauma is recorded now. Right. And the trauma is a reminder and it's constant and it comes from you in every single way. It doesn't, you know, we can't devalue the impact that that had on any generation throughout history because bullying and feeling ousted and singled out and, um, the physical all of that and the name calling all of that will remain with you for life of course right. and it doesn't get easier at any point in time but now like you said it's recorded it could be a meme you could be a meme whether you chose <laughs> to be or not you know right. and and all of the, these um, moments in your life that you could maybe laugh off for five seconds in a day you are ten years down the line it could still be there yeah. And so that's, but that's again a different kind of trauma yeah, and I think absolutely. that's what makes kids, I think that's what makes kids um, less amenable to communication and self-expression because they don't feel safe. You know, we, we constantly talk as educators to create a safe environment in the classroom, right? Right. But we don't have that control anymore. Um, We can try as much as we want, but we don't know what's happening on somebody's phone in that classroom at the same time. We don't know what's happening on the Internet. We don't know what's happening because they control that more than we do. And, you know, as much as we'd like to be independent, you know, have independent students and give them their creative license, uh, they can be mean.
0: (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And have
1: always had that, you know, ability. So. I think I don't want to make the internet the beast. I don't want to make social media the beast because there's always advantages and disadvantages to all that. But I think that is definitely a rise in the in that type of trauma, right. in the depressive trauma. I've had in a year and a half, two students who are high performing academic students come from good homes, quote unquote. You know, as far as we know, supportive parents involved and and quite talented kids who can't come to school because of high anxiety and fear of failure um fear of other people's comments and and it's getting to be on the rise where you saw that as well people have um anxiety passes where they can just leave class at any point in time because they feel a high level of anxiety for no reason at all even if somebody's not saying something even if Right. There isn't somebody bullying them. They are inflicted with that in themselves because of the state of the world, you know. Right. And I don't think that we put enough stock in that, and me included. I'm I'm the first one to say you have to have grit, right? <laughs> but I'm, I didn't grow up in this in an in an era where we didn't trust our world, right? Since their birth, definitely any students that are 18 and younger are older, I mean they don't trust it they don't have politicians they trust they don't have leaders that they trust they don't have an establishment that they trust they don't have tv that they they don't have anything that they trust so why should they express themselves other than liking or unliking something that's detached so that is a safe space for them to say their opinion right and hot
0: yeah absolutely well I'm glad I'm glad you brought up the um, the anxiety passes right because I think the conversations I've had even over the last few years is as a teacher what do I do when I'm constantly like every class period you know I'm sure you've had them da- like there is a, there is one or even two kids in every class period that that's, and you're just like I can't say no you don't I mean or at least you feel like you can't say no I mean mm-hmm. how do you as a um, a master teacher, like, how do you, I mean, yeah, you you know, you teach your kids grit or, or, or at least tell them, you know, you've Mm got to have it. But what are, what are you, what have you found strategy wise that, that helps you be okay with that or, or deal with it or. Um, (laughs) good question. Um,
1: (laughs) I, I don't know. I mean, it's a combination of things. I think for any educator or any position, any kind of leadership role, Um, needs to first and foremost show their students that they care about them. And that has to be built as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. in the most positive way as possible. And I think once you do that or uh, begin to establish that when you look at a student with a pressure pass or even with that one, uh, you can look at a student and say, look, I understand you need a moment, but do you understand that we also need to get through this? And after we get through this, we can
0: talk
1: about or give you time to think about or write about or you know and find alternative ways for them to keep them somehow engaged keep them somehow connected and trying because I find that what kids have lost most and I wouldn't call this specifically apathy but they quit really fast because they're uncomfortable and that fear of conflict and everything's conflict for them um, even you know I can't tell you how many times somebody has said well don't yell at me and I have not raised my voice but to them their filter right because it is conflict to them it is you saying uh, no later maybe or let's discuss this they don't have the ability to have that conversation so to them it's conflict and to them it's easier to not say and not participate so they continue their experience with not participating. And so a certain extent as adults and educators and parents who are concerned, we allow them to do that because what's the alternative? What if that kid goes home and does commit suicide?
0: Right, there's always a, there's always a, but what if, you know? I mean, there's a danger there no matter what. Absolutely. Or or at least the threat of it, you know?
1: And I I mean, I think that's probably has always been there for a certain number of students throughout history, but I've never felt that amount of burden Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with the weight of my words as much as I've had the last five to eight years of teaching
0: right yeah
1: I really feel that I have to have more allowance for departure from a lecture or a rehearsal or what have you because the student wants to use the pressure pass and sometimes you can clearly tell they don't need to it's just their way out Mm -hmm. but then do you want to be the person that makes that judgment call? So teaching has, teaching has always been important and there's always been a responsibility, sure. Um, But I haven't felt the stress of, did I just send this kid down a rabbit hole? Right. That can't get out of?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because
1: I was holding him to a standard.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Or her, you know?
0: So you, a little earlier in the conversation, talked about um, receipts. So Mm -hmm. I have some receipts for you. Um, An ACE, uh, what they call an ACE, uh, adverse childhood experience. Um, We know from research, the most recent research, that 47% of the student population has experienced at least one of these events. That might be um, neglect, abuse of some sort, um, violence, um, extreme poverty. Um, And nearly 22% of students experience more than one of those um, 35% of children experience uh, an adverse childhood experience before they reach kindergarten. Um, and then the, the research tells us that there's really no barriers as far as um, race, income, education level. All It's just happening across the population. Um, and not all of us, as I said at the beginning of the conversation, have access to trauma-informed teaching strategies. Um, I'm sure that that your work at um, at the CARES okay. program helped you helped you in that regard, but what what do you if we don't have a district that is that is creating trauma informed schools and um, you're like you or me out there alone, <laughs> what do you reckon what 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 would you tell teachers to do? Um, Speak it out. What, what Go was seek it out wherever it, out. it
1: is. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, to having the personal integrity or professional integrity to understand that as part of our responsibility at this point in time, whether we're degreed for it or not. I mean, I'd love to have a psychology degree. I'd love to have a social right. degree, but I don't. And so, I mean, I've taught for 22 years and every year has been different and a different learning experience for me. Um, so I have to bring a different set of tools every day. Um, Mm -hmm. And it seems like, like I said, the last five, eight years, this has been the tool that I have found that needs the most, um, you know, attachment (laughs) to work. And so I think number one is to seek it out and and realize that maybe you're hitting that wall with that class or that student or that population or that group. And it's not necessarily content based and knowledge based that you have to, you know, we always say meet the student where they are. And I don't think that's true anymore. It's you have to know the student where they are.
0: Right. And
1: I think that's a really important change in the vocabulary because w- that's not always our first things. We have a job to do. We have a goal to set. We have you know, assessments and we have, I don't want to say quotas, but we have things we have to meet as a school, as a mission, as a... And we're, generally passionate about our subject and discipline and so we want to get there and we forget that everybody that's in that room has their own world. I, I just spoke to a student this morning who wonderfully capable freshman, talented, lots of potential, insert all of the buzzwords that you would like for a student and beautiful character personality right and unfortunately she is late to my class or is absent to my class probably this year 50 percent of the time and i've addressed it with her parents i've addressed it with her she's not skipping her mom keeps her home so she can get make sure that her older brother gets up and goes to school so she'd rather her not go and so I talked to her real talk today Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and you, you know what real talk for me is, but like for those that don't know who I am is I sit them down and talk about the reality of the world and this girl's 14 years old. And I said, you know, you're doing this for your brother and family is important and you're respecting your family. And I agree with it wholeheartedly. However, what are you going to do in four years? What are you going to do in 10 years? And how are you going to look back and say, well, I should have done something for me. So is there a balance on how can I help? And she was tearing up
0: mm-hmm.
1: and she hadn't looked at it that way. She was just doing what mom was telling her to do and not realizing the repercussions of that. She's like, I want to graduate high school. And I said, let's not talk about high school or degrees or education. Let's talk about what do you want to do? And like, that was the first time she teared up. I said, what do you see yourself enjoying? And she's like, I, I would love to, to fly airplanes. And I said, wow. so that's awesome. How would, what do you think you need She's like, well, I know I need a high school diploma, and I said, how are we going to get that? You know, Absolutely. and it was such a simple conversation that she hadn't thought through, and nobody in her family has. And I know that she's loved, and I know that those parents are working multiple jobs, and I, you know, and they're trying to fix issues, put band aids on issues the best way they can. Like, I can't yeah. judge that,
0: uh-huh.
1: and I can't tell her not to do that. But is she? Does she have trauma? Absolutely. Right. Is she coming to school prepared to learn? Absolutely not. Like she's got the weight of her brother's life on her shoulders. Yeah. So I think as teachers, we have to understand coming at a student. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's delicate. That's the trick. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, boy, I could have, I could have been mean. I could have been hard on her. I could have been a whole lot of things um, that would have resulted in something maybe more negative. And, and now we have a plan you know, right. to how to move forward and, and, and you know, helping her during lunch with her other classes and, you know, getting her a tutor for this and, and trying to plan as best as we can. Is she still gonna right. miss my first period class? Probably. Right. But is percussion the most important class in her life to get her to that airplane? Probably <laughs> not. So I mean I think those kind of concessions have to be made right. um in order to save the priority. Nah. And so I think that's, I mean, that's a long recommendation. You, you've got to know your student. You have to, you have to. So all the SEL, that's the buzzword now for everybody, for nonprofits, for symphonies, for educators, for businesses, for marketing, social, emotional learning. And um, it can't be cursory. And it can, it, it has to be authentic. And I think that's probably the hardest part is being authentic in the mo- in the moment.
0: So you, you just, you just touched on that, um, SEL <laughs> and you just gave just this past week, you were just on a, was it on a panel for mm-hmm. Sphinx connect? Yes. Just tell us a little bit about that. I know it was, um, mostly people of color on that panel or all people of color maybe. And, um, and it was coming at the, the, the idea of a social-emotional learning from what perspective?
1: Um, it was, um, we, we're all people, brown and black, you know, that's mm-hmm. what we say. Um, and we got together and talked about this several times. We've been friends for, again, I'll age myself, a really long time. <laughs> and um, we all started teaching in South Florida at the same time. And that's how we know each other from there. And, you know, we talked together for years and then everybody went their separate ways. One ended up in New York, one's in Texas, one's in Florida and I'm here in Colorado. And we were really interested in, 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 our conversations to find out why our programs have always ended up successful, our music programs. And, you know, what was the dynamic? What do you do? What do I do? What's our curriculum? What are the differences? And, and we started talking about diversity And we're
0: like, well, why
1: in South Florida, in this county that we worked in, the diversity is huge. I mean, Hispanic and, you know, South American and Asian and African American, Haitian, and like, I mean, you name it. Mm -hmm. We had it in our classroom. It was so much so that we never thought about it. Right. You know, so it was literally standard based. Like, we were going to do this because this is the standard and we're going to excel. And everybody's competitive, and all the schools were diverse, right? Regardless of funding, regardless of whatever, everybody was going to play their twelve major scales in under two minutes, memorized. Everybody was going to go to these honor bands, and everybody was going to have these experiences. Then we all went to different places, and we're finding that that's not the way it is. And so we started asking ourselves why.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, we got receipts, <laughs> which were <with> percentages <laughs> and numbers and demographics and income and. And we started looking at what the difference was. And when you look at the hard numbers, and you look at the results and evolution of the results of the pros, and we're talking specifically music, right? Uh Uh, Just to be clear, um, why is it that all four of us have successful programs regardless of the demographic? Mm -hmm. And how do we approach the classroom differently? Is it us? Is it the areas of the water? You know, we've asked all these (laughs) questions. And what we find is that, number one, and I named the clinic Great Expectations, because I believe that there's a bias, whether it's conscious or unconscious, and I actually believe, truly believe, that it's more unconscious than it is conscious from the educators, that we do not have the same standards across the line. Um, And what I'm finding specifically is that if you have a classroom of 30 students and Ten of them are English uh, as a second language. Five of them are, you know, some kind of spectrum. You know, Mm -hmm. five of them are overachievers. It's really easy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's really easy for you to be okay with the group of students who don't speak English, with the group of students who aren't up to par to just sit and be quiet, and then you can teach. Yeah. you know it's that that feeling of asking a question and having the same students that know the answers answer it and you're saying oh they understand then you give an exam and only that student gets it right and you're <laughs> like wait a second I thought everybody understood well you only asked one kid right you only right. asked those kids that knew you know and, and instead of waiting for that awkward silence and realizing oh wait nobody knows what's going on and we have to go back to square one and i'm not blaming a teacher i'm not calling a character out what we were doing was just looking at what the difference is you know uh-huh. and taking the extra time and the extra steps to to learn how to teach and stratify a, a, a lesson plan for all those learners and i remember when we were at skyline last year they gave us that statistic and i don't i'm not i'm not going to quote it cuz i'm going to say it wrong but they said on average in the classroom with 30 kids they gave us like there's probably two homeless. There's probably four who've been in some trouble. And yeah. all those numbers were like, oh my goodness, what are we, like, that was eye-opening uh-huh. for us. And that was a picture of our school right, where we're at. So um, presenting with this panel and seeing, you know, a, a friend of mine, one of the people, Jasmine Britt, up in New York who pretty much her and her team was singing how bringing music education back into the schools in New York. And you're talking about New York where there's more art than anything else, right. yet not in the schools and not accessible and not funded and not for every child. And And so this is someone who's in the last 10 years changed everything about music education in New York. And so, like, why can't she do it? Why can her team do it? Like so, I think a lot of that—we're um, talking about trauma and apathy. A lot of that is taught. A lot of that is unconscious bias. Um, I don't want to say racism because I don't—I don't believe that. I think those are smaller cases than they are larger cases. I think it's just you have a class of thirty to forty kids and you're teaching, and it becomes difficult, and so you just go like a, a train at the middle. <laughs> and whatever you lose on either side is you know collateral damage yeah. because what can you do yeah. you know um so the whole system is just not structured but what we are finding with SEL is that we all teach leadership constantly we all teach uh self-value we all teach voice and i don't mean singing like you right. yeah, but i mean having that student find a time within that first year where they feel seen mm-hmm. and they feel heard and they know they're valued and that their voice matters um, and we spend time trying to develop that and I think that was probably the one unique thing because, well not unique but that's the one thing that maybe has allowed us to get to success
0: right, Twitter, it's the one, that it's was... the common thread that, that you yeah. guys could identify that yeah. bound you all yeah. together
1: Absolutely, because when we all teach the same musical notes, we all use the same repertoire. We right. all, you know, try to get our kids to achieve the thing. Um, but I think that was an important aspect. So yeah. that, I mean, there's so much more to be done on right. that, that. You know, yeah. just scratch. We just started the conversation. Yes,
0: in a 30-minute in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we haven't even gotten to apathy. Right. right. Well, and I mean... Apathy, um, I think, you know, trauma is that, is that thing that's blossoming, blossoming on all our radars right now. Um, apathy is something that, that we've talked about. Well, teachers, I mean, I remember my teachers saying that kid's lazy or that kid doesn't care. I mean, teachers talk about it, parents talk about it. I think the most common thing I get back from, you know, kids or talking with other people as well, every generation thinks that the generation after them, wasn't worse.
1: it Aristotle that said, like, if our future depends on our next generation, there isn't going to be one?
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So that was, what, how many years ago? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you and I have had some really great conversations about apathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you've taught in more um, locations than I have. So I'm interested to, I mean, you were just talking about diversity. You know, you were in South Florida, you're in New Mexico as a, as a professor, you're in... Um,
1: Arkansas, yeah. Texas like, yeah. yeah
0: so is it the same everywhere you've been? no and, <laughs> that's an easy answer
1: yeah it's not and I'm sure I have bias in some way shape or form that I can't identify um, but just to stereotype in a really negative way <laughs> uh, East Coast has more Uh, sass, more grit, more voice, even though it's misdirected, it's Mm -hmm. just there, and the West Coast is a lot more subversive, and um, quiet, and lack the ability to advocate for themselves, Um, and a little bit harder, in my opinion, to, I, I find it harder to squeeze a lemon and get a drop than having a whole lot and then trying to guide it. right? And I find that in 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 East Coast experiences, Arkansas, I'll consider East, you know, and in South Florida and New York and Connecticut, I've done honor bands in all states. Um, those kids have a voice. Mm-hmm. And so when you ask them something or when you teach something or when you do something, there's an action back. So as a teacher, you're able to hear, observe, uh, assess really quickly where everything is. Uh, what I found here in New Mexico, this side of Texas, um, Colorado, uh-huh. is that there's more quiet. And when you teach or you speak or you do or conduct or whatever it is, there's so much held back that you spend more time trying to pull it out than... He must be an East Coast dog. Um, <laughs> um, then you do trying to solve the problem because you you don't know what it is, you don't know where the issue is, you don't know where the mis the the the, the misconnect is, you don't know where right. the issue is. So you're just like continue rotating this to every single angle before you actually get to what the crux of it and it could be simple but you're not going to see it because nobody's going to say excuse me I didn't understand when you said no one's saying that or I don't feel comfortable doing this or I really don't enjoy this or I really love you don't get that you just get eyes maybe maybe you get eyes and so I think that's the difference in the apathy it's probably not worse in that sense it's just in a a way that's hard to read Right. yeah so like if they're not communicating at least apathy before they tell you they're lazy or their actions showed you that they're lazy but you can't see that you just see silence and and no movement no eye contact right. no voice no communication and and you're sitting there trying to understand how to make it more engaging how to how to get them to understand how to get them to input and contribute and be part of it. And so it's hard to build a culture. And what's happening is here things don't have culture. Schools used to have a culture. Uh, Clubs used to have a culture. All these things had a built in character. Right. And now it just kind of doesn't. I'm finding here. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah. So are, is it that everybody's uh, west of Texas isn't just adapting fast enough? <laughs> you know, I mean, or is it? I mean, we don't want to lay the blame because I it can't be no. laid at any at anyone's feet. Um, right, right. However, there's got to be some. There's got to be some. I don't. A, I, don't
1: and, I don't know. I don't know, Jacob. I, I'll tell you, it is a conundrum for me on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And things are finally getting with my older students that I've had for now two years, which is still not a long time. Um, they're getting a little bit more comfortable communicating with me and being funny or being sassy or, or right. or if I make a mistake, being able to say, "Oh, doc, this is incorrect" or whatever, or laugh or, and and express themselves in a natural way. Right. Um, but my freshmen are still my freshmen, so I have to. I have to do the SEL. I have to do a lot of the pulling and the, you know squeezing mm-hmm. before they get comfortable enough to say something, say anything. Right. So and I mean say anything. I have a student today at a parent conference who probably since August, their first year, um, has said maybe 20, twenty thirty words to me. Yeah. Great student. Does what they're supposed to do. And it doesn't matter how I pose a question, they're not going to answer it yeah. with words.
0: <laughs> We've all had those, right? Right. Yeah.
1: So, and, and they don't, they're not on the spectrum. There's no issue. They're just not comfortable.
0: Uh-huh.
1: They're still trying to formulate their way of communicating with others. Right. And authority or whatever you want to look at us as. Uh, I hate thinking of authority because that's terrifying, but... Um, Right. Somebody in the leadership position, they don't value what they have to say or they're too scared Mm -hmm. to say something wrong. I I don't know. And when I and I still go back to South Florida or still go East Coast and do honor bands. Mm -hmm. And those kids are still generally a lot easier
0: to talk to so there's, there's something along these lines that I've always thought of. And, and you know, when I was growing up, I grew up, I graduated with a class in a class of 25. That was my graduating class at my high school. Lord. Right. <laughs> right. Big difference from, from where you grow up. But I, I and, and as you were saying that, I was just thinking about, I can remember certain classes, like even class periods where I was sitting like in English. And I can remember looking around the room because people around the room were talking. So... But in you know in my classes, in your classes, we sit there and we look to, in one direction in the room because we know that's where the answer is going to come from. You know if we ask a question, we can probably guess the four or five students that might raise their hand and say, yes, but I'm thinking back to my high school experience and I remember everybody talking or like so much that we got told to shut up all the time because it was, and it wasn't social talking, it was trying to answer questions or, or discussing. And I've often thought that, I wonder if the, the, our country, and I'm not saying that there's anything inherently bad about large population centers, but what if we broke, what if we didn't have such large schools? And I get the, the, the reasoning and all of that stuff, but um, kids today aren't forced to have um, social relationships because they can, in a, in, a, in a school of 15, 1600, they can disappear. Um, In my class of 25, I was, I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, 22 of those I'd known since kindergarten. So I I don't know if that's the, the, like you said at the beginning, the population has grown. We're adapting to that as a society. Cities are getting bigger. Um, But I, I, I don't think there's any logical way to do that. You know, you can't split up the entire country into high schools that are, 100 people large you know i mean
1: i don't know if that's the answer because Jacob, up the school i taught at a, in florida one of them was 5600 kids right. and all of them had a voice i think at the same time <laughs> you know
0: well see that's why you're here because i mean
1: so, so I, I don't like it's it, well, this is such a small perspective right even mm-hmm. though we've taught in different places um And it's just our our experience that we're talking from, mostly. Um, I'm sure, like, there was a a hominess and and, uh, everybody knows everybody in a school of your size. Uh, As opposed to, you know, if you weren't banned at Western, you weren't in football and in basketball and in volleyball because there were 5,600 kids. So there were outliers, enough outliers in each one of the disciplines that they usually didn't blend uh-huh. in the sense that you could do five things because there were a billion other people that could do that other thing better than you right. if you weren't focused on it. So there were you know, advantages and disadvantages, but our kids were able to still, I mean, they were sassy uh-huh. and some of them, unfortunately, trauma or no trauma were lived in more than I was at the time when I was teaching there. And what I mean by that is that they were, I mean, they had lives like history uh-huh. that I mean, I'm 44 now and I don't have that life. You know, so right. I mean, I, I think to what they're exposed to being city urban kids, what they're exposed to, they have to learn how to speak or, or they're done for. Right. And whereas maybe in a smaller population or a lesser population, or I don't know if it's population, but West Coast, you mm-hmm. know, open space open area kind of thing, um, you don't have to clamor for that one thing. Right. Everybody could be in choir, baseball, wrestling, and basketball.
0: Right. Well, I was, you know, yeah. Right. I was in everything. So I I
1: think in that you can hide a little bit more because you don't have to be the best. Uh Uh-huh. You don't have to be the strongest and you don't have to advocate for yourself. You just have to show up. Yeah. And I'm not taking anything away from the work that was put in, um, and I'm sure there's outliers on both ends. Absolutely. Um, but, like, you know, uh, even at where I'm at right now, currently, you know, I have kids that are in 15 different programs, and everybody's trying to get that kid to be in 15 more programs, you know, right. to validate the existence and the FTE and all that stuff, even though we're the biggest school in St. Rain, but that doesn't mean that all of those kids in that school are participating. We're still talking about the same 10% yeah. Or 20% that are active. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, The rest of the 80% aren't doing anything, and we're not going after them because they're not the high achievers, and so therefore we're back to the demographic of the underserved and the underprivileged <laughs> that are easily <laughs> forgotten because we're all trying to get you know, that one kid, that one girl, that one guy, that whatever, that is really smart and really talented and really strong to be in all of it but the other kids we're not even looking at we're not asking for them because it takes too much to get into the performance level that we want them to
0: full right. yes.
1: we'll circle on that but I don't <laughs> I don't know that population is really it I, I think for me if I were to blame our current state of apathy it would be social media and I know that's like the thing to say and you know I, I don't disqualify any of the advantages that we have because of it you know um, I and I use social media and all of the things too and I'm grateful yes. for it but I think I grew up in a time where I can turn it off and I know how to do that and that I know what real joy in reality like physical tangible joy um, with a human with an art with a discipline with uh, something by myself, without any validation, with any likes, with any opinions.
0: Well, you didn't grow yeah. up in it. You didn't grow right. up with that. I mean, so, they talk about a literal um, fix from getting likes. Yeah. I mean, like the addiction science there, mm-hmm. that there's a shot of, is it endorphins? When, when you get yeah, a like, absolutely. you know, we train our bodies to, and then kids are, they put something up and they're constantly flipping back to that because they've got to see those likes or those hearts on Instagram or whatever they are.
1: Right. Yeah. All right. And, and that takes their, uh, for some of them, they, you know, whoever is the, uh, whose personality is extroverted, well, maybe they'll become the next influencer, or maybe they'll have a blog, or maybe they'll make a, and that's great for them. It's another outlet. They were gonna be that, but for the majority of the, of the population of students that I'm seeing, it actually takes their voice away it takes their active participation away right. because they feel safe just doing things on their computer even speaking it was funny Valentine's Day right and we have the singing Valentine's that happen uh-huh. and we have you know <laughs> kids doing little things for their girlfriends boyfriends whatever um, but it's less and less because everybody's just very afraid of showing anything but boy are they on their phones you know trying <laughs> to you go know with whoever but they won't do it face to face anymore there isn't it's too high stakes to be let yep. down it's too high stakes to be wrong or to show affection or it's
0: and it might get recorded and then it will never yeah. go away
1: oh goodness <laughs> uh, so it's it's uh it's interesting it's a, I, don't, I don't know that, that empathy we didn't suffer that fear I, I i didn't i shouldn't say we i'm sure there were friends of mine that were more introverted, more scared or whatever, uh-huh. but because they had to speak to be heard. They had to communicate to get something that they had a limit. They were like, well, I don't have to go out of my way to party. However, if I want to get this pencil, I'm gonna have to speak. But now they don't have to.
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: So they don't develop that as easily and and, and we call it apathetic, we call it lazy, we call you know, I get frustrated with it my frustration generally stems from the fact that I can't get done what we want to get done. Right. You know? Um, and so I have to like scale back and and think about where they're at.
0: So coming full circle, we could answer that last part with (laughs) SEL social emotional learning. I mean, that's, that's where we're at right now. Mm Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that again, it's such a buzzword. And with anything else, just like when people, now what are the buzzwords? Are diversity and inclusion and outreach and educational outreach? Right. These are all things that everybody is like in the last fifteen years discovering is important, but it's become just words, and there is an impact. So people feel really good doing outreach, quote unquote. You know, that, that those few symphony players that go to a classroom and play for a half hour. And oh, we played for a bunch of kids and it was great. Was it? (laughs) What connection did you make with those kids? You know, are they gonna remember this moment? Because if you play for 200 kids, you might play for that one kid that was gonna be a bassoon player anyway. And so you connected with them, which is great. Yes. How about the other 199? And why are we now in 2020 still trying to make symphonies relevant? Because we haven't made the impact. We haven't made the connections to develop the relationships. And now it's even harder to do so because of the social media, because of the lack of talking and communication. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so now, you know, anything you want to do, you've got to have 15 different handles. You've got to be on Instagram, you've got to be on TikTok, you got to be on the thing <laughs> and the, the, the Twitter. I mean, there's so many things you have to be on that what are you really accomplishing in real time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if Absolutely. you're recording all this and submitting it, what, you know, what yeah. work are you getting done? and and are you making an impact one-on-one with someone? And I don't think that's being valued anymore. As much as it should, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: I agree. Well, Dr. Lerogoidy, uh, before she came on the podcast, had uh, parent-teacher conferences for three or four hours. <laughs> um, and I want to let her have a bit of a night. And by a bit of a night, I mean I want to let her go to bed. Um, <laughs> But I That's do, all
1: educators want to do. <laughs> exactly, uh, but I
0: do want to say thank you so much for being thank with you. us. And um, I think um, I think this was perfect um, because I think you had a lot to say, and it was it was all very relevant. And um, I just really enjoyed, as I always have um, since we first met, just learning from you as uh, as we listen. And I hope that people listening got a chance to learn from you as well. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you and i think that's the
1: most important thing is that we continue to have conversations
0: i would agree that's all we have time for tonight on millennial mythos i'm jacob gantz let's talk soon